I think we'll begin because it's right on 10 o'clock and if we don't, we're, it'll cut time out for Arlene. And I want to give her every minute we can give her because she's got so much to share with us. Let me just go through some of the things that are happening over the next little while. So we are meeting um, tonight. Now, um, on the program, it's got 6.15. In actual fact, I think the girls... It's connected with the girls' worship tonight. And I think the girls' worship is 6.30, isn't it? Girls... um, Okay, so it it might, if you get here at 6.15, you might be waiting around for a few minutes. We may not actually start. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, so we'll start with some some of these games and things at 6.15. Right, yeah. Then um, tomorrow, what's actually happening is um, we have some special basketball people that are here with Eddie. And uh, they're doing a basketball demonstration um, down, and that that's so that's conflicted with our time, and so it's actually gone back an hour. So we're going to start um, on the program. It's got um, six fifteen, but we're actually going to start at seven thirty, and then Friday night's the normal seven thirty, seven twenty eight. So tomorrow night it's not six fifteen; it's seven thirty. And uh, because there's a special basketball demonstration that's happening. Eddie's got, um, I think it's five guys from England, um, basketball experts that are out from England doing a big thing down at the auto from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. So we will uh, wait for that and then then we'll start at um, 7.30. Then Friday night, it's the normal 7.28. So remember, Friday night will not be here. Friday night will be um, over in the church as we normally do every Friday night. So that'll be 7.28. And then Saturday morning, um, Saturday morning is at 10 o'clock and then um, Saturday afternoon here at 3 o'clock. Now the Saturday afternoon one, there's there's two topics that are happening. So there's one at 3 o'clock and one at 4 o'clock, but they're different topics. So it's basically two sessions one after the other that are happening. Um, so Saturday afternoon. So there's a whole heap of, of uh, really, really good things that, that are happening on campus over the next couple of days. And we want to invite every one of you to come and to just enjoy yourselves and have a really, really good time as, uh, as Arlene just amazes you. If it's anything like last year, Arlene will amaze you with the incredible information that uh, she gives. And she's debating that, I know. <laughs> But she, she will absolutely amaze you with all the stuff that she gives about our brains. We are incredibly made by God. And you get to the end of the series and you just kind of go, thanks, God. What an incredible body you've given to us. Thank you, Arlene. Let's welcome Arlene to Forum this morning. So how in the health are you? Good. Evidently, my accent was not too far off the mark. I said health very carefully because I'm told that when I'm here, I'm the one with the accent. You know, the brain does not hear its own accent. I think that's just fascinating. And that's how actors and actresses learn a different accent. They hear a different accent because they don't hear their own. So this is my fifth trip down under, and I'll be back again next April. I love to come to this country. I don't know if it's because I was born in Canada and it was part of the British Empire, just like Australia, but it doesn't feel like I'm anywhere really strange, which, well, most of the time. Then I talk to Dr. French, and I wonder, but... (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think you're lucky if you've got professors with a sense of humor because we have a tremendous amount of research now that you put information straight into long-term memory if you have a professor with a sense of humor who uses it. And growing up in Canada, you know, education was very serious. And I had no professors with any kind of sense of humor. So consequently, I was always in trouble. All right, let's do brain benders. How many of you have done these before? Good. What's the rule when I'm speaking? Does anybody remember? 
Get up and move around any time you want to. 50% of brains only learn if they're standing and their bodies are moving. So if you want to learn something and you have that kind of brain, get up and move. Anytime I'm not visual, I will not even notice. All right, top left. What does this stand for? Spread out. Spaced out. Out of touch. Come on, there's usually more than one. Second on the left. Chinese checkers works. That's the only one I could think of until one day I was doing this and the guy on the front row said, well, why couldn't it be check on the Chinese? <laughs> works for me. All right, third on the left, word in a word. Doesn't matter if the letters go forwards or backwards, your brain can do it. Throw in the towel, fabulous. Bottom left. Sign on the dotted line, that's great. Uh, nobody signed on the dotted line. So you could look at it either way and different brains will look at it differently. Top right, timing is what? Good. Second on the right. Look on the bright side. Third on the right. Light at the end of the tunnel. Fourth on the right. On the left. No, on the right. <laughs> I'm down under. <laughs> uh, sit on top could work. What else? What's under the letters? Lines. Where are the lines in relation to the rest of the box? Are they in the middle or on a side. Sit on the sidelines. Good job. All right. Well, it's just what my brain thought of. You might have come up with something else. No right or wrong here. But once you have done one set of these, your brain's already laid down the beginning of a piece of software so that if you want to do another set, you're already, you have a leg up. What's the takeaway with that piece of information? Be careful what you do once because you will already have the start of software laid down. And if, something, if it's something you know is not good for you long term, then be really careful what you do once. All right, what does your brain see? Good. Everybody see the face? Uh, some brains have trouble with abstracts, and that's not good or bad. It just is. So I love this painter. He does all kinds of art like this, and this is one of them. So I'm going to turn it around. It will, of course, change the name, but some brains will find it easier to find the face when it's turned a different direction. Did... Did any of you like it better the second way than the first? Did the rest of you like it better the first way? Or did you not see anything anyway? <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> All right. I always like to start a presentation with this because if you get this... You have just bought insurance for a more successful, fulfilling life. Just like your fingerprint, every brain is different, period. There are no two brains on the planet alike, functionally or structurally. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that. Not even the brains of identical twins. Which means, if you understand that, there is nothing anybody can ever say to you on this planet that's going to knock you off center because it's just coming out of a brain that's different from yours. And if you don't get this, then you can often be knocked off center when somebody says, uh, how come you're up there speaking with your shoes off? Why are you doing that? And the implication is what? I should be doing something different from what I'm doing. Well, that brain may think that, but believe me, I will do a better job without shoes on. So if I let that other brain's opinion impact me in any way and go put my shoes on, you would suffer. But how often do we change what we're doing just because another brain has a different opinion? So stop it. Here is a cutaway of the brain, and that's a real brain that we just resined, and then I put it on a scanner. 
And you can see the brain, stem, and cerebellum. You can see the middle limbic system. You can see this bridge here, which is the corpus callosum. Remember that. And then you'll see the rind on the watermelon. This is the rind on the watermelon drawn out so that you have two hemispheres. You know that. They're about the size of your fists. I don't know about those basketball players, but they probably have very large hands. <laughs> it has nothing to do with intelligence. <laughs> nothing. Size is unrelated to intelligence. Einstein had a rather small brain, so if you've got little hands, don't worry about it. It's the connections between the neurons that decide how smart you are. So you have a fissure down the middle. You have a fissure in each side that gives you four chunks of cerebral tissue. I'm sure you've heard these talked about. This is the left frontal lobe, the right frontal lobe. These are the posterior uh, parts of the brain, and there's three lobes on each side, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When you do a brain scan, one of the purposes of that is to try to find where in this cerebral cluster of tissue the cells reside that allow you to do different types of functions. And the more we learn about that, the more you can align what you do in life with where your energy advantage lies if you figure that out. Meaning, we're born with an energy advantage in one of these four chunks over the other three. So when you do activities that align with the chunk of tissue that has your energy advantage, you're spending about a dollar per second on that activity. Any place else in the brain, it's 100 bucks per second. 100 times more energy. So the whole purpose of education is to build skills throughout the brain so you can get out of a paper bag when you have to. However, you want to align your career with what your brain does energy efficiently because then you have all of this energy that will last a whole lot longer than it would otherwise. So what do we find with brain scans? We find that there are general similarities among human brains. Well, duh, we're all members of the same species. But we find a unique specificity in each brain. And here's one example. Up here in the left frontal lobe is where we have something called Broca's area. What does Broca's area allow us to do? Speak audibly. Excellent. But you do 100 brain scans on 100 different brains. They've got Broca's area always up here in the left frontal, uh, the, yeah, the left frontal lobe. A little jet lag here yet. And but it's never in exactly the same place. That's what's fascinating. You know, in one brain, it might be a little bit more north and, or south or east or west. It's in that chunk, but not in the same place exactly. And that's one of the things that makes it a little difficult to actually compare brains with each other. And that's just one example. So the corpus callosum, your two hemispheres, I've pulled that picture apart so you can see the brain uh, bridges. There are several of them, three, four, maybe even a fifth. Uh, anterior commissure is one, but the corpus callosum is the largest one that's been identified, and it is very different in the male brain than in the female brain. And I don't know if we're going to have much time to talk about that, just it's different. And because it is about a fifth of the size of the bridge in the female brain, male brains have sort of two independent brains operating. And they can be in one side working, and the other side can be sort of, you know, the lights are out, the air conditioning's off, it's just kind of idling. <laughs> That's not good or bad, it's different. <laughs> but if they want to do something on this side, then they got to shut off all the electronics here, cross their little tiny bridge, and turn everything on on the other side of the brain. <laughs> And that does give rise to some of the male-female differences we see because the female brain is not like that. It has so many bridges and there are so many lanes to each bridge that if any part of the female brain is on, it's all on. But because the lights are on, whether anybody's home or not, <laughs> 
it takes more energy to run the female brain. So given a male brain and a female brain are doing the same types of activities, her brain will often get tired more quickly. Now, if you did not have this corpus callosum, your right hand would not know what your left hand's doing. And there are a minuscule number of brains that we have identified that were born without a corpus callosum. And, and you wouldn't know that just talking to the person in general. But the second that person tries to do anything that crosses the midline, they can't do it. So you say, put your right hand on your left shoulder. Okay, for most of us, that's just an instant response. No corpus callosum. They'll go up to the midline and they'll stop, and they cannot move that hand across the midline because there isn't enough uh, connections between the two hemispheres. All right, one more thing about that. Are you familiar with the term myelination? All right, few of you are, a few of you aren't. All right. The brain runs on pieces of software. Think of them as a neuron highway, just like a highway in the real world. It's easier to drive on if it's paved. Same thing with the brain pathways. The brain's asphalt, do you call it asphalt in Australia? Tar? Okay, whatever. You got you, the stuff you put on the road so you don't see the gravel anymore. The, you have to pave those highways in the brain in order for you to quickly and smoothly send information across them. And this is a process. It does not happen instantly. And so just the corpus callosum is not paved until about age 20 or 21. So anybody in this room under the age of about 21, pathways are not paved completely yet. You've got potholes, you've got patches of gravel. Your brain could short out at any time. <laughs> and what does that look like to somebody whose brain is paved? It looks like, what were they thinking? Oh, they weren't. They hit a pothole. So remember that that's a process. Now, we also have got some new information about the corpus callosum, and that is some people are very fast at seeing something and naming it. Oh, there's a door. Uh, there's um, What is that? A lantern? <laughs> some people are much faster than others. It's not good or bad, right or wrong, because if they're slower at naming, they'll be faster at something else. But here's what we found out. People who are fast at naming tend to use one particular lane on the corpus callosum, and people who are slower at naming use a totally different lane. And we don't really even think they go back and forth. So we are so unique. Now, the corpus callosum is a set of horizontal highways, millions and millions and millions of axons, which means it's easy to run between the left frontal lobe and the right frontal lobe because the corpus callosum encompasses this part right here. But they're all horizontal. So you can, algebra, for example, is loaded in the frontal left. Geometry, the picture math, is loaded in the frontal right. So depending on how good your math teacher is, because facility at math really is dependent on the quality of the teacher. Hundreds of studies show that. So if you're not doing well in math, get a different teacher, because it might be the teacher. Of course, it might be you're not studying, but, <laughs> you know. So here's algebra, here's geometry, so it's easy to run between those two. Depending on your energy advantage and given all things being equal about the quality of the teacher, you might, your brain might find geometry much more easy to do than algebra or vice versa. But if you're a math teacher, it's easy to run between those and teach both of them, relatively speaking, because you've got so many horizontal connectors. And it's really easy to run between these two posterior sections. So that this is writing, 
learning how to type, those kinds of things. Uh, this over here is much more in terms of harmony. Um, is everything going smoothly in the environment? But it's really easy to run between those two. You also have a set of connectors between Brokaw's area up here in the frontal left where you do audible speech and Wernicke's area down here where you listen to speech and you're absolutely able to decode it, giving the accent is not too thick and it's, an ang it's a language that you know. <laughs> so there's connectors between these two on the left side so you can go between those and connectors on this side so you can go between functions on the right side. There are no diagonal connectors in the cerebrum. Fascinating. Which means my energy advantage is up here in the right frontal lobe where there is no language. There's visualization, uh, there's gestures. I'm very careful of the gestures I make. Uh, there's um, unlimited uh, ideas. You know, if you've never done it before, I love to do it. You know, wants lots of variety. But to get down here where there's the function of spelling, I cannot go from here to here. There are no diagonal connectors. So spell check has been a really boon for me, given I remember to use it. However, it will not give you word specificity. So I might, the word T-H-E-R-E -E might be spelled correctly, but it's the wrong word for that context. It should have been T-H-E-I-R. So you notice any mistakes, jot them down and tell me, because... Every brain is handicapped, and that's one of my handicaps. I'm not down there in the spelling part. To even get here, I have to cross the corpus callosum here and go downstairs, or go downstairs here and cross in the posterior area. So it's twice as far to get there, twice the energy, and then when I do get there, it's 100 times more. So we have done ourselves a disservice by thinking that we can be good at everything. You can be mediocre at almost everything. But you can only excel in areas for which you have an energy advantage. And that's why it's important to figure that out. Oh, shucks. I thought I was going to be able to tell him he forgot to turn off his technology. <laughs> okay, all right. Neurons. you got to keep me on track here, Dr. French, because I could talk for three weeks, you know that, only taking bathroom breaks. <laughs> you know, I absolutely love this brain function information. I know you can't tell, so I'm going to remind you. I love it. It's changed my life. So, all right, brain neurons. Tell me you know what a neuron is. All right, give me a quick description. What does a neuron help us do? Think, good. They're neurons that have the ability to exchange information between them, between each other. So your brain neurons form the basis for IQ. It's just one measure of intelligence. I don't think there's anything special about it. In fact, it's not even a static number. If you want to work on it, you can raise your IQ by 30 points depending where you start, and that could have an advantage for some brains. So, you've got about 100 billion neurons in your brain. You've got a bunch more in your spinal cord. Here's the takeaway. Neurons never multiply and divide. Never. Every cell in your body is going to be different in the space of about six to seven years. You've got the neurons you were born with. So if you choose behaviors that damage your neurons, good luck, because you're not going to get any more, basically. And therefore, you can have a damaged brain your whole life because you tried some substance or some activity that was lethal for your brain, and you damaged those neurons. We believe they're arranged in the brain in fields of about a million neurons per field, and you've got lots and lots and lots of fields, obviously. 
And each neuron in a field is vibrating at the same frequency. And if they stop vibrating, then that neuron is dead. So what does that mean? It means that these neurons also act like radio transmitters. They send and receive their vibrational frequency. And they're putting out electromagnetic energy all the time. We might be lucky to get as far as that slide. What does this mean? It means that sometimes you meet somebody and you instantly feel comfortable with them. And sometimes you want to hurry up and take them home with you. Get that when you meet somebody and you feel instantly comfortable with them, all that means is that your brain recognizes that brain has some commonality of frequency in fields. Now you've got to activate other parts of your brain and decide if you really do want to bring them home with you. Because that's all it means. You know, over in the States, we see this in Hollywood all the time. You know, Elizabeth Taylor went into a rehab program for dependency on pain pills, and she met this hunk who was also there for dependency on one substance or more. They looked at each other across the crowded room, got a little hormonal tsunami going, and ended up getting married. <laughs> and that was really functional. You definitely want to marry somebody with the same kind of problems you're having because then they, you can really help each other. <laughs> so when you are, feel comfortable with the brain, that's all it means. You've got some commonality of frequency. Now, if you want to find somebody to spend the rest of your life with, it's nice, helpful. If you start out with some feelings of comfort, but it's only one small part, so remember that. And the other piece is that sometimes you meet people and it's not that you hate them on sight. It's just that nothing happens and, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I want to hang out with them. Well, your brain is not recognizing any commonality of frequencies. And we've got people working on machines that are going to be able, hopefully in my lifetime, to identify frequencies in each individual field. Right now we can do it across the brain, but we can't do it in each individual field. And that's going to be really fun. So I work, you know, I don't choose the people I work with. Um, I certainly choose the people I hang out with. Believe me. And they have to, number one, be on the same life journey that I am. And they have to be smart. And they, that means they've got to be using their brains. And they've got to have a good sense of humor. Oh. They have to have a good sense of humor. You know, life is hard, and then you die. <laughs> so you might as well laugh about it on the way so that you have a better time. And I want people healthy enough that they can laugh at themselves because we carry with us the biggest source of amusement on the planet because we're such interesting creatures. So I work with people and sometimes someone will come to, to work and I'll not perceive any familial feeling of comfort. But as I work with them, I really begin to admire what their brain can do. And we often become very good colleagues. You know, we might not have any commonality of frequency, but that's fine because they can often do things that are energy exhausting for me. And so we can collaborate. Heart neurons forms the basis for emotional intelligence. And I'm relatively certain we're doing a section on emotional intelligence. It has everything to do with your success in life. You know, the success quotient is IQ plus EQ equals SQ. IQ at most contributes about 20%, unless you're acephalic. This is not that helpful. Emotional intelligence is worth 80% of how successful you are, so best start working on that. Your GI tract, filled with neurons. We did not know that until fairly recently. In fact, the enteric nervous system, that it, the, as it's called, is now being called the second brain. Because you've got a million neurons in your GI tract, 90% of all the serotonin in your brain and body, what does serotonin help you do? Avoid, avoid sadness, basically. If you don't have enough serotonin, you can't be joyful. 90% of it's in your gut, not in your brain. Hello? 
50% of dopamine, what is do, what's dopamine? It's the feel better chemical. Doesn't make you feel wonderful particularly, it just makes you feel better than you felt before you got a shot of it. But half of that is in your gut. And we always thought all of that stuff was basically in your brain. And it uses more than half of all the neurotransmitters that have been identified. And that's amazing. So it's really no surprise that if you get an upset stomach because you're not eating well or eating the right things for your body or at the right time or giving your body enough time to rest in between. You know, some people's GI tracts have never had a minute's rest since the day they were born. They had parents who kept shoving a bottle in their mouth every time they squeaked, assuming they were hungry. And the person's kept on, you know, never lets the GI tract rest. Uh, that's not attractive. So you get an upset stomach, it's no wonder you get a headache. And you get upset emotionally, well, you're going to have nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. It's your second brain. And researchers are now saying that irritable bowel syndrome, have you heard that term? All right, irritable bowel syndrome, they used to think, you know, it was something you were eating and they took you off all roughage and, you know, fed you pablum and soy milk and I don't know what else, and it didn't help. Now they're saying that it is an enteric neuropathy, meaning something is keeping those neurons in the GI tract upset. Let's talk about the impact of your emotions on your white blood cells. This is relatively new information. The researchers would take a little swab, bring participants into the lab, rub the inside of the person's cheek so they can rub off a few white blood cells, which you know are part of the immune system. Then they dump them into a test tube, uh, hook that test tube up, to the type of instrumentation that you use when you do an electroencephalogram and get brain waves. So now they, they've got the, the, the test tube with the white blood cells in it, all hooked up to the machines in the lab, and they take the donor some distance away. You know, at first it was five meters, like in the next room. The most recent research is 25 kilometers. That's a fur piece away from the laboratory. And then they do something to scare the person, or they ask the person, remember the last time that you allowed yourself to be really angry? See if you can replicate that. And in the laboratory, 25 kilometers away, as soon as the donor becomes fearful or angry, these little cells go ballistic. And when they say to the donor, now think of something calm, pleasant, the cells calm right down. All right, what's the takeaway? When you allow yourself to stay in a state of anger or fear, your white blood cells are bouncing all over your body. They're not doing their job. And I believe that's the reason we have scriptural admonition. Be anxious about what? Nothing. Nothing, do you know what nothing means? It doesn't mean here's a whole group of things you can be anxious about, but not about that. If be anxious about nothing, it's going to impact your immune system. And when the emotion of anger surfaces and you get the information it's giving you, how long do you, do you hang on to anger? No longer than the sun goes down that night. Otherwise, you're going to be impacting your immune system. Are you familiar with the words pheromones? All right, pheromones are olfactory, having to do with your nose, chemical cues that you can't perceive that have an odor, but that are triggered and can be picked up by members of the same species, which is fascinating. So here's... Here's a fun little experiment that they just did. They used rats. We use rats a lot because you might not like to know this, but the rat brain is actually very much like the female brain, uh, the, the human brain. <laughs> the female brain and the male brain. 
the, um, that's why they make such wonderful study subjects for, for research, because they're very, very like the human brain. And I was thinking about female brain because, as I said, I said this one time, and a female brain came up to me just incensed. Are you telling me that my brain is like a rat's brain? And I said, um, yes, I am. And she went so ballistic, I thought she was going to take a bite out of my arm. I mean, okay, so just get used to it. Your brain is very much like a rat brain. So give it some cheese. <laughs> All right, so they took a group of rats, and they put it in a room, and they each had their own cage, and they were just as happy as rats could be. I mean, they had little things to play with, and they had lots of cheese and whatever else they needed. Now they took a bunch of other rats, same type of cages, same type of amenities, put them in a room clear on the other side of the building. The only connection, as far as we know, was the air conditioning system. Now, turns out that rats have cellular memory for snakes. They don't like snakes. And to that extent, I believe my brain is like a rat brain. Uh, because I don't willingly spend any time in a snake pit. Not, not big on snakes. So they bring in this snake to room number one. And the second that snake was brought through the door, all of the rats in room number one literally went ballistic. They were chattering and jumping and squeaking, and it was not pretty. Well, guess what? Immediately, the rats on the other side of the building did exactly the same behavior. They were terrified. So how did the information from the rats in room number one get to the rats in room number two that fast so that they exhibited the same type of terror? And the snake wasn't in the second room, it was only in the first room. So we're not really sure. Was it because of pheromones that the rats were putting out and saying, you know, we have a, there's danger here that went through the air ducts? Or might we have been talking about electromagnetic energy? We don't know. But that's fascinating. Now, humans put out pheromones, probably not until about puberty. And there are three axillary steroids that are believed to be very, very part of the pheromone family so that we impact each other apparently with pheromones. Can't smell anything. If you're with somebody and you're smelling a bad odor, it's not a pheromone <laughs> because there's no odor with the pheromones, but you are getting impacted. They're picked up by cells in the septum in your nose. So lots of studies. Uh, the ones I really find interesting are the preemies that were dying in hospitals at the rate of about 50, 60, 70 percent because, you know, put a baby in an incubator, you wouldn't want a parent to touch them, right? I mean, come on, we've got to keep them in the sterile environment. And they were dying. And then they began to realize that when some brilliant person took the leap and said, no, bring the parents in, let them put their hands in the incubator and touch the touch the baby, they quit dying, their heart rate smoothed out, so on and so forth. But you can't have the parents there 24 hours a day. So then they realized that if the mother left a piece of clothing that they could shove in the incubator, whether she was there or not, the babies did much, much better. And then they started doing things like having volunteers take layers of you know, soft cloth, flannel. Uh, I, the first ones, I think, they cut out little hearts and they sewed a bunch of them together. And they would say to the mothers, when you're pumping your breast milk to bring in so your child has its own personal milk, put this little heart-shaped flannel somewhere on your body, your, against your skin, while you're pumping your breast milk. 
And they've done many experiments. The mother comes back in, the, the baby's heart rate is not doing well. The nurse with gloves on takes this little piece of flannel, puts his or her arm into the incubator, puts that on the baby somewhere, on the baby's skin, and immediately, immediately the heart rate smooths down. The breathing becomes regular. Boy, I think that's got implications for people who have to leave their children very early in daycare. You know, best they, the mother better be leaving a piece of clothing that has not been washed for a while. Picking up as many of these pheromones as you can with that little baby, hoping to help it do a little better. All right, we'll finish up with electromagnetic energy. So remember, I said neurons put out M energy. Every neuron does this, doesn't matter where it is. It's a form of radiation energy. The interesting thing is that most of the studies have been done about brain and heart neurons, although there are neurons in another part of the, the body, of course, and, and some of the experiments are expanding to that. Although the heart is, you know, it's about the size of one of your fists. It's not nearly as large as your brain, which are two fists. We always thought it was a muscular organ, and it does have muscle. But remember, McGill University, the least number of neurons that have ever been counted in the heart are 40,000. That's a chunk. The heart neurons generate M energy at a much stronger rate than your brain neurons. And studies differ. I found one study that in that study, the M energy that came from heart neurons was 5,000 times stronger than what came from the brain neurons. So this energy forms a field around the person's body. And some people freak out when I say that, but that's just the way it is. You can take a hologram and you can see the energy around the body. And depending on whether the person is thinking positively or negative, it can be a nice, wide, beautiful band of light, sometimes with different colors like an aurora borealis. And if they're thinking negatively, angry, there'll be a little thin band of dark gray or black color around the person's body. Those are the kind of people I don't want to come anywhere near. Really, because their negative energy is going to impact the environment, you, themselves, certainly. Here's what's fascinating about some of the research. So far, they've only done it with people that were good friends, knew each other. So we got more than 15 feet here. So let's say this is a lab. And over here, we've got Dr. Furch. And he's all hooked up to machines that will give us a pattern of his brain waves, <laughs> which we hope show up. And a pattern of his, you know, he's healthy enough that I can tease him. That's one of the things I love about coming to Australia. Here's a man I can tease, and he doesn't take it personally, so I probably do it too much, but I'm only going to be here four days, and he has a whole year to recover. Okay. So, so we've got him hooked up, so he's getting EEG patterns from his brain and from his heart as it puts out electromagnetic energy. Two different patterns. So now we've got Mari, his wife, on the other side. And we've got her wired up. And we've got her brain pattern. And we've got her heart pattern. And they're both different from each other. And they're very different from his. So we've got two people, four different patterns. Now we bring them to the middle of the room. And hopefully it's a good day so they hold hands. And now you watch what's happening. And the first thing that happens is Dr. Furch's, well, whatever, the guy on the front road, <laughs> row, not road, Furch. Oh, never mind. Dr. Wayne, I've got his first name down. <gasps> Why do I want to say Furch? Because I do, I am part French. We'll analyze that later. <laughs> okay, so I've already got three things to apologize to him for. It really builds up quickly when he's in one of my lectures. All right. Dr. French and his wife 
first thing that happens is his brain waves synchronize to his heart waves. So now he's only got one pattern. Mari's brain wave synchronizes with her heart wave, and now she's got one pattern. Give them 30 seconds, and what happens? Their heart waves synchronize. And now you have, instead of two people, four patterns, you have two people, one pattern. Touch is that important if it's caring touch. If you're not having a good day, don't even shake hands with somebody. (laughs) Your negative electromagnetic energy will be transmitted to them and they will not, it will not benefit them. And I think we need to pay really close attention to that. Now, kids and animals are really sensitive to electromagnetic energy. And as we get older, we tend to... We tend to um, choose to ignore that kind of information. And at sometimes, therefore, we put each other, we put ourselves at risk. So when a child says, I don't, I don't want to go with that person, and many well-meaning parents say, there's nothing wrong with them, go with them. Uh, if the child is really not wanting to go that child may be picking up something in terms of electromagnetic energy you're missing. So pay attention to it. I got a little poodle at one point in my life because I like little dogs. Can't have any now because I travel too much, but I had this darling little poodle. I brought her home. She thought I was wonderful till she met my husband. She fell in love with him. So if he wasn't home, I was great. If he was home, I was chopped liver. (laughs) But the good news about that is that I now had a barometer to know what kind of day he had at work. (laughs) Because she would let me know when it was about time for him to come home from the office. If she was at the garage door going, (laughs) okay, he'd had a good day. We're going to have a good evening. If she's not at the door, if she has crawled under the bed in the master bedroom, I join her. Because I know it's not going to be pretty. And I just relax under the bed until she creeps out and I figure he's had some time to unwind and now I can come out as well. And we laugh, but it's real. So when, have you ever walked into a room and sat down and felt uncomfortable and got, and got up and moved and then felt better? Most people have at one time or another. You probably were sitting within three to six feet of somebody who was putting out negative electromagnetic energy and your body didn't like it. So I would like to tell you that my entire life I have only put out positive electromagnetic energy. But that would be a lie. (laughs) And lying suppresses immune system function. So the more you lie, the less healthy you will be. I do purpose to only do that now, which which means I've had to learn some things, like embarrassment is a choice. Don't go there. You know, I could be really, really embarrassed that somehow I got first and French you know, mixed up. So I'm human. I make mistakes. You think I need to go there? there? (laughs) (laughs) See, he gives as good as he gets. (laughs) But that's the importance of understanding brain function because there's only two types of electromagnetic energy as far as we know. Well, you said somewhere (laughs) different tonight. (laughs) There's only two types of energy that we know of. There's positive and negative. And positive thoughts, empowering, I can do this, I make mistakes, I can learn from them. I'm going to put French in a big sign on his shirt tonight. That gives us 
positive electromagnetic energy, and we are then sharing that with other people. I'm impacting every one of you in this room. My energy is eventually getting to every one of you. And I would do you a disservice if I was putting out negative electromagnetic energy. That is never my goal. I think that Christ put out positive. In fact, when you read stories in Ellen G. White's writings and others, there's comments like, even when he was telling people that was a horrible thing to do and it's not okay and you need to stop doing that, his voice was so kind that they felt accepted even as he was telling them how to clean up their lives. That's positive electromagnetic energy. So, think about it. Because many of us grew up with a lot of negative energy. People always telling us everything we were doing wrong. Oh, we know from brain function research that that's exactly the opposite thing of what you want to do. And we're going to talk about that one time, maybe Sabbath afternoon, the current research about that. So, you are putting out energy all the time, period. And number one, it's impacting your body more than anybody else. Remember, the white blood cells. And then it's impacting people who are close to you. If you're within three feet of somebody, you're getting bombarded with their electromagnetic energy. We can measure it out to 15 feet, but quantum physics says it's never destroyed. It's just going out. In fact, the other day I was thinking, boy, things apparently aren't too good over in Pakistan. Oh, I was going to say... I wonder if the U.S. is putting out a lot of negative electromagnetic energy that's going over and negatively impacting Pakistan. I mean, where does it go? It's never destroyed. It's, it's somewhere. And that's really pretty pathetic. All right. Got a general picture of some of the communication pieces. Thank you for coming. I'll see you tonight. Thank you. So tonight, when the brain and technology collide, see you tonight. Thanks, you guys. 
Sam Akra has some of your energy. I'm giving you as much as I can. As you know, just saying to Wayne, on random occasions over the last little while, indeterminate period of time, I've come out of a building or out of some particular instance, so I've communicated with somebody, I've come out of the room feeling good. Past a person, and they'll smile. Even ladies I don't know, even though I'm with my wife. Um, <laughs> but it's happened so often. I thought I don't know that person, yet their their response has been so friendly. Yeah, because your brains instantly pick up that electric. You know, a person coming you know, ten feet, you know, ten feet away. I crossed the street. Somebody I saw P cells and I thought P cell perception. Yep, you got it. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah, so much. And you're happy happy for that camera. Well, I didn't say I was happy, I said I was willing. <laughs> There's a difference. What do we what do we do to bridge that gap? Well, I don't know. I'm not as free when I know it's been it's being taken. Would you rather not? I don't know where it's gonna be shown and that kind of thing. It's up to you. If you if you let me tell you the reason why. I thought your slides were brilliant. And I, I uh, uh, said to, to uh, Wayne first, and for my own private use, I, well, I, I had recorded them. Mostly, I mean, a lot yeah, of these right. are on the website. I believe so. Oh, the slides, are they? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. This well, one I just okay. did last night, so it's not up there yet. Look, I, I would hate to impact negatively on the quality of Well, I don't know that it would impact negatively, but... I mean, I would never be free to joke with Dr. Friends. I won't, I won't record it. I mean, only, only I'm you. trying to give you some credit for all the years it took you to get your doctor. Don't give him too much. Mine was in a weekend. But no, look, you know, I, won't. I can't joke like that if I know it's going right, to go I, somewhere. I won't, I won't, I won't video Somebody it. Somebody who isn't in the context is going to say, Show you, I won't run that risk. I don't think it would be fair to everybody. No, no, no. I, I think the risk there. That's the I've actually had people ask me that very thing. Can I get a video? story 
Putting out positive yep. energy, and then if they're putting out negative, that's going to change. Oh, okay. Um, now, I was, I was wondering if, if you knew what kind of band of radiation the, the EM radiation is from. That you know, you probably can go online and yep. find that out, but here's the thing you've got a million cells in each field, mm, and absolutely. the frequency level is different, we think, on every field. So there's going to have to be a fairly wide band. There is a, a to, wide band to account for. Yeah. Okay, I was wondering, would it be like something more like radio waves or something higher than? They what we call can see, it like? radiation energy. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. And that's the best I can get. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Because no, I'm not a quantum physicist. No, I was just wondering. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I can't even get Dr. French's name right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a cool way. It's 
much sense. Now, I was, I was also wondering about um, how you were talking about the four quadrants of the, of the brain. I was. Um, and in particular, how they don't have any diagonal connections. Yep. I, was, I was wondering, what's diagonally opposite to algebra? <laughs> Diag well, in the frontal left, it's mm. all the inductive, deductive reasoning, linear math, calculus, arithmetic, algebra. Yeah. The diagonal part of that has everything. This is the... If there is a spirituality center, we know the human brain is spiritual. Okay. Not necessarily religious, that's a choice, but spiritual. This probably is the spirituality center. Okay. It is also the center for connection, for harmony, native musical ability. This is where people have this push to do some kind of career that lets them help people, you know, and, and all of all of careers can be helpful. 